Welcome back to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, uh, back here with uh, a look at AW Full Gear, which was a very noteworthy pay-per-view on Saturday night. And uh, let's jump right in because there was a lot on this show. And I think we've kind of said that about AEW pay-per-views. And, and that, I think, is the really the, the important part of having four pay-per-views a year is that really all of these shows are so jam-packed and and everything does feel, you know, a bit more special and, and meaningful when you don't have, you know, a pay-per-view every single month and you can kind of build these longer type of stories. And obviously there was a lot of that on this particular show. Um, so it, it was basically, you know, the main card, a, a four-hour show, but there was just so much packed into it. Um, and you really never, you know, had that let up of, uh, you know, something that didn't feel like it was at least somewhat important. Certainly there were some things that were uh, you know, built up a bit more than others. But uh, for the most part, there was a lot on the show uh, that you could kind of sink your teeth into and, and really have a, a really good idea of, you know, what you can get if you sample AW. Uh, if you're someone who, you know, watches the show on a regular basis, you kind of know what to expect. But I mean, for fans that perhaps, you know, let's say they're just checking into AW recently, they've watched some of the, the buildup on Dynamite or Rampage. I mean, this is this is what you get with an AW pay-per-view. And I thought from start to finish, a pretty fantastic show. And we've kind of said that now uh, pretty frequently when it comes to AEW pay-per-views. But let's uh, start with the main card. Of course, on the, the buy-in, there was the women's tag team match with uh, Thunder Rosa and Hikaru Shida getting the win over uh, Jamie Hayter and Nyla Rose. Uh, I do want to point out quickly, I think Jamie Hayter is someone that's going to be a pretty big star at some point in AEW. Uh, you know, she's kind of playing the sidekick right now for Britt Baker, uh, but I think that she just, she has all the tools, and, you know, she's just very good in the ring. You see some of the things she does so well. I think she understands the psychology and those types of things. Um, I think she's very good, and that's not to take away from anyone else, because obviously you can say the same for the other women involved, but uh, I, I think she is someone that will certainly capture a lot of attention uh, moving forward. All right, to the main card. MJF gets the win over Darby Allen. You know, it's interesting because we talk about how much of a jam-packed show this was. And I think by the end, you know, you're not really forgetting that MGF and Darby Allen had a match because it's just like, how can you forget something that they just did, uh, which we'll discuss here. But, I mean, they it's just, it's such a, a jam-packed show again that, you know, it's incredible to look back and think this was the opener on this show. And my goodness, was it fantastic. I still think there's another match we'll get to a little bit later, but... I mean, this may have been my favorite thing on the show, and that's not taking anything away from everything else because I just think this was that good. Uh, you, you mean we mentioned the whole four pillars thing, and MJF has brought that up with AEW. If these are two of the four pillars for AEW, they're going to be just fine <laughs> because, I mean, this was for these two. I think to sort of have the level of understanding that they have, and and sort of what it takes to kind of build in those emotional aspects of matches as well as just being as good as they are in the ring um, and just the back and forth and just the face heel dynamic, everything like this was a, this was a special match. And, uh, you know, again, I, I was thinking this as the show started, I can only imagine what it's like for Tony Khan to have to figure out how to structure these AEW pay-per-views because there is so much stuff on here that you could probably, you know, lose your mind trying to figure out where to place everything. But really, I think when you go up and down this card here and we, we go throughout it, 
I think the placement was pretty good here for the most part. Um, you know, the matches that were in the right spots and, you know, there were a lot of things again that we'll, we'll talk about. There were some sort of repetitive things, but I think you kind of can sort of give a little leeway on that when it comes to just what the stakes were in some of these matches and sort of the dynamics surrounding them. But with this match here to go on first, I mean, it just, when you look back at it, this was the perfect opener because it really set the stage for what you were going to get from this pay-per-view. And that was a lot of really good action in and outside of the ring when it comes to some of the uh, multi-man tag matches that we'll get to. But I mean, this was just a, I keep saying it, but it's, you know, for these guys to be the age that they're at and to really understand some of the things that they understand. And I thought the finish was incredible. It's like, it's the perfect MJF finish when it comes to just what he can do as a character and how he can sort of add some of those little nuances that make all the difference. I just thought that this was this was fantastic work from these two. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of good matches. Both have been involved in good matches in AEW to this point, and I'm sure, you know, there's a lot that you could forget just given how much wrestling we, we see on a weekly basis now. But, I mean, this has to be right up there for these two in AEW because this this was something that... That opening sequence was was quite. I mean, I don't know how they did it. Um, that that's why they are who they are. Uh, but just a, an unbelievable piece of work, I think, for these two. And like I said, I I would not argue with anyone who maybe at the end of the night thought that this was the best thing on the show because they they I thought told a great story here. And when you just consider MJF, um, he's just you know I just don't know what else you can do to this guy at this point. I mean, he is. He is so good in the ring, and I think because he's so good on the microphone, he doesn't always get enough credit for what he can do in the ring, and I think this was a perfect example of that uh, here, and it's a big win for him, you know, getting a win over Darby Allen. I mean, it's huge for MJF, and now I think that probably catapults him into, you know, some sort of discussion when it comes to the championships, uh, you know, of some sort, and I think that uh, he'll be right back there in that conversation, but uh, yeah, I would highly recommend, if you didn't get a chance to, to see this pay-per-view you know, maybe you don't have a chance to watch the entire card. I think you will once you get into it, because this is sort of the the way it started. But for everyone who saw this, um, this this left you a feeling like, wow, yeah, AEW's in pretty good hands uh, with these two in the future. Uh, then that led us into the second match, which was uh, the Lucha Bros getting the win over FTR in uh, another match that was just very, you know, high action, uh, high intensity for, from these four. Uh, and you you knew to expect that, given the four involved here. Uh, FD, I mean, Lucha Bros retained the titles. I think that was kind of the expectation here uh, for the most part. And, you know, I, I think with this match, everything was good. I've seen, you know, some criticism of the finish, and, and I probably agree on that to a certain extent because I think it was sort of a... I'm not exactly sure what to think of the finish uh, where you had the, you know, the whole mask situation and then you had the wrong guy getting pinned. And I assume that's a way to sort of allow the heels to to have something to come back with. Um, I would guess that's probably how they'll they'll play it moving forward. But, I mean, again, you talk about just the match itself. Um, you know, the finish maybe leaves a little bit to be desired, but I think still, you know, for the most part, this was, again, I mean, you, you expected on paper this was going to be a very good match given the, all the parties involved. And, and now, you know, we know we're going to get this match again on the AAA show uh, here coming up soon. But, I mean, just in AEW, I mean, these are two of the best tag teams in the company. And I thought they had a, a really good match. And, and like I said, you talk about card placement. I mean, that that plays into it here. I mean, this was, it was not, not easy to be able to follow that opening match, just given, I think, everything you saw from it. But 
I still think, you know, given the spot they were in, I mean, these four delivered another very good match. And um, that was kind of the theme of the night here uh, when you looked at it. So the Lucha Bros get the win, retain the championships there. I think the finish may be more to come as to how that played out uh, on that. Uh, then we go straight into, I mean, there's there's no breaks on these AEW pay-per-views. So there are very few uh, let-up situations where you can just feel like um, you can kind of sit back and take a breather. Because then we go right into... Brian Danielson and Miro in the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament final. And uh, once again, like this was for a match that kind of got thrown together, of course, pretty quickly, given the the scenario uh, and situation with John Moxley uh, and all that. I mean, I think that you knew you were going to get a good match out of these two. And I think the, the story aspect was really compelling. Uh, Miro, who I just continue to believe is... <laughs> doing some of the best character work of anyone in the company right now um, with this whole situation he's got going on with God. Um, his promos, just everything he's doing, uh, I think Miro is just, he's fantastic. And I think that actually allowed him here to be able to take this loss uh, because I think he's just so good at what he's doing from a character standpoint that even losing this match to Brian Danielson, who you know is considered one of the best wrestlers in the world, if not the best wrestler in the world, um, I think that it doesn't really do a whole lot to hurt Miro. Now it just gives him more ammunition, I think, to be able to play into that character and uh, you know, really perhaps go back at God for uh, losing this match and all these other things. I can only imagine what the promos are going to sound like for Miro after losing this opportunity to be in the championship uh, picture here. But uh, I mean, for Danielson, it's another scenario where he finds a way to win, the, win a match in another different way, um, another sort of you know, knockout, tap-out type finish and I think that it's just, you know, it's getting, uh, it's very creative for them to be able to come up with all these different ways to, you know, find ways for him to win matches. And I think that's kind of the fun part of it now is you're just waiting for that next one. How is he going to win this next match? And I think that they, they can, they played that up here. And I think that'll be the way they played up moving forward. Um, you know, going into this championship match, which we'll discuss that at the end, uh, given the outcome of the main event, but I mean, Danielson, I think from the beginning, we all expected Danielson to win the tournament. I think things probably would have been a little bit different in terms of dynamic here had it been John Moxley since they were teasing that that sort of, uh, you know, heel, heel turn from Moxley. I mean, that seemed like it was inevitable based on how he was, um, you know, kind of going throughout the tournament and what he was doing to the, the baby faces that he was going to face. Um, but still, Miro, you know, by no means a, a bad replacement given where he's at and his standing in AEW. So uh, even though, again, maybe a very predictable finish, uh, the match I thought was good. And, you know, I think that's that's one of the, I guess, I don't even know if call it an issue, but, you know, I did see some people too, like on, on online, on, on Twitter and such, talking about how maybe this match wasn't as good as they thought it would be. But, you know, I think that's a, that's sort of one of those things that you have to just, I think, look at sometimes and realize, especially on a show like this, you know, I, I just, given the time involved, and, and that's something else that I think is very interesting about this show, is when you looked at the actual matches, there was only one match on this main card that was under 15 minutes, and that's one we'll get to here in a second, but everything else went at least 15 minutes, and, and that's, again, when you have four shows a year, you want to be able to give these programs time, and that's like, this one goes 20 minutes, um, and you get sort of the, the TKO finish there. Uh, and I thought it was a good match. I mean, I thought it told a good story, and, and I think that's the story that it continues to tell, is how is, how is Danielson going to win that next match? Like, what are the 
what's going to lead up to him being able to lock in one of these submissions and even someone like Miro, you know, doesn't have a chance to be able to to kick out of it and all that. Like he can't escape from what these guys are doing. So I think that is that is a big part of this um, when it comes to the story. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that it's just, uh, I mean, they've got a lot they can build off of now. I think in both directions, obviously Daniels is going to go into the championship picture. Then you're going to have the scenario with uh, Miro. Like I said, I think they'll they'll play that up pretty well from a character standpoint. There's a lot of directions they can go here coming out of this match. So then it was on to the uh, six-man tag with uh, Christian and the Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy Luchasaurus, getting the win over the Super Click uh, with uh, Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. And, I mean, this was... You talk about wild. <laughs> this was wild. I mean, this was... There, there were a lot of different um, sort of uh, developments in, in this this match here. I mean, they just they did a lot, and I think when you actually look at the timing of it, this may have been the second longest match on the show. Uh, when you, yeah, I think it was. I'm just I'm looking at the the times on on Wikipedia, and it looks like yeah, this was second behind the main event, um, slightly behind or slightly ahead of MJF and Darby Allen. But um, this was this was a this was certainly a Falls Count Anywhere match, and I think it more resembled. Uh, a street fight, in a sense, until we actually got another street fight later on uh, with the the ten man tag. But um, this was this was something, and I think that you know you kind of look at the story they told here too, with uh, Jungle Boy kind of being hesitant of of going the route, you know, of using the weapon and all that, and really just kind of turning that intensity up a bit. And finally, he realizes he has to to win this match, and you know that gives him the sort of the the concerto finish there. And I mean, a pretty big. Uh, you know, story arc that they're trying to build there with Jungle Boy, and that's kind of the the development they did here. But I mean, it's a it's a big win for for Jurassic Express and Christian to get a win over Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. You know, on pay per view, um, and I think that was just you know that says something. I think in and of itself is you know Adam Cole comes in very hot uh, right out of you know NXT and and has the great debut at All Out, and the Young Bucks have been at the top of their game, although they lose the tag titles to the Lucha Bros. And now, you know, they've kind of formed this, this super click here, but Jungle Boy's the one coming out of this with sort of the shine. And again, I think that says a lot when we talk about the future of AEW, the four pillars, right? That's all we were talking about. I mean, MJF, Darby Allen, Jungle Boy gets a huge moment here. And, um, you know, Sammy Guevara obviously plays it to, to the match later on. But, I mean, this is this was one that, that I think you looked at it and, and they did a lot. I mean, it was... I don't. I know that Young Bucks matches are not everyone's cup of tea. Like I think we we probably all realize that at this point. Um, some people love the Young Bucks. Some people don't. And I think that there was you know so much action here. And uh, I think Adam Cole's involvement. Adam Cole you know gets the, the the blade job. Which my goodness, you don't talk about a recurring theme on this show. There's a lot of blood on full gear. Uh, but uh, it's pay per view. You can do what you want. So I thought that you know for Adam Cole he is going to continue to be a very fascinating figure. You know, they kind of teased the whole Undisputed Era thing um, with Bobby Fish and all that uh, recently. And I think at some point, and I've said this from the beginning, I think Adam Cole is going to be the biggest, or maybe not the biggest, but he will be one of the biggest baby faces in AEW at some point in the future. I don't know when that is. I don't think that's going to be in the near future. I think they'll they'll kind of burn that one a little bit. They'll They'll give it a little time to play out. But at some point, that's going to happen. And um, I think that it's just going to be a lot of fun when they get to that story uh, with him, you know, whether that's going up against, you know, the Young Bucks, Omega, whoever, uh, I think that they're going to have a lot of fun with that. And um, but I think for for this particular match, uh, he was, you know, I think he stood out again here in terms of what he can do. And 
obviously the young bucks their their whole attire you got the you know the purple mustaches like they're just they're so over the top with these heel characters but as we'll see a little bit later on that didn't necessarily stick for the entire show uh but a good match uh, again i can't i mean that's kind of the deal here like i thought this was good i think that i could understand some people who thought maybe this was a little bit too long uh but as we say, I mean, it's it's their it's their pay-per-view, and I think they're going to try to give as much time as they can to all these different matches, and we saw that with only one match going less than 15 minutes on this card. Uh, so uh, I think that it was, you know, they, they built up this feud between these six over the past however long now, month or so, uh, and it was going to play out here on pay-per-view, and, and they did that, and they pulled out all the stops. Uh, so Jungle Boy, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he goes coming out of this, uh, because he was the one that kind of, I think, come out of this was sort of the spotlight on him so big win for uh jurassic express and uh christian there which uh, he's another one that uh, we'll see what role he slotted into maybe there's something to come there with him a little bit uh teasing of a character change or such we'll see what happens with christian then the next match was a tag team match with uh cody and pack getting the win over andrade and malachi black i think this was the probably the only thing on the show that I don't want to say it didn't felt like it didn't need to be there, but I just don't think it, as we said, when you're, you're building a show like this, not everything is going to get an equal amount of time. And there may be some things that have to get thrown together. And, and let's also point out too, we don't know how much changed, you know, based on the Miro addition to the world title eliminator tournament. Um, perhaps Miro had something lined up elsewhere and and that could cause you know multiple changes um so i think that's always something to consider here when you you look at that i know everyone will go back to the you know whatever the the photo of tony khan's notebook and all the different scenarios that were on there uh perhaps and could we have gotten cody and miro like there, there's so many different uh aspects that again you have to look back and think well what got shuffled around based on having to make that switch uh and what didn't so I'll give them, you know, credit here for you put something together. I mean, it's four very good talents in the ring and you you do what you can. I I thought it was fine for what it was, but I just don't think it was it was something that, as we said, having to follow what they just followed where literally everything was pulled out in that six man tag team match. A traditional tag team match was going to have a a trouble here. I think really, you know, hitting that, no pun intended, uh, full gear. Uh, it was going to be hard to do, and I think that's kind of what happened here. And and Pac, Pac's Pac. Like, he, he's fantastic in any scenario you put him into. I think the chemistry he's had with Andrade has been pretty good. Um, you know, that match they had, you know, whenever it was. I mean, they they, they clearly have a good thing going together. Uh, and in the Malachi Black situation, I, I'm more intrigued by Malachi Black to see where they go with him because, you know, he does lose this tag team match. You come out of the Cody thing and all that. I, I'm very curious to kind of see what they do, because he was red hot when he came in, and, you know, all the crowds behind him, and I think they're still going to be behind him when you just look at that entrance. I mean, my goodness, it's uh, it's a spectacle, and I think that he's going to continue to be someone that the crowd will get behind, but I, I also wonder, you know, what the next steps are for him, and then, of course, the main talking point here is what it's always is pretty much when Cody comes out anymore, and that is, at some point, when is that you know, switch gonna flip, and is it ever gonna flip when it comes to how they're going to present Cody? Because the boos were out in full force here, um, and I think you know I've also seen some people saying, well, people are just booing Cody at this point because it's the cool thing to do; it's what everyone's doing. I I, I think there's something to that. I would not be surprised if there are some people that are doing it just for that reason. But 
I also think that Cody does things that make you want to boo him. And that is what makes you a heel. Like that that's what heels do. Like they they do things that make you want to cheer against them. Um, not everything Cody does is that way. And uh, but there are just some things that I think when you're a fan and you read into it, there are some things that you want to boo about him. Um, and so I I feel like they have to have some sort of awareness of this. And I think we kind of saw that in this match still. Again, some of those heel tendencies sort of coming out. And maybe Cody's right. Maybe he will never do the full-blown heel turn. He's just never going to do it. And if he doesn't, he can go the Cena route, the Reigns route, whatever you want to call it, and just have that mixed reaction every single match because he will get a reaction. And, you know, to some, that's that's good enough. Like, if you can just get that reaction, people are going to care about you. Um, so I I think there's a lot of ways they could go with this, but it's clear. I don't think it's just people jumping on the booing bandwagon to boo. I think that there's way more to it than that. Um, you know, Cody's character is doing things that make you want to boo him. And I think that's where, you know, what's next for him and, and will they go that full blown route? We'll see. But, um, I, I think that there's, that there's something there. It's just, uh, as, as other people have said, Cody could probably be one of the biggest heels in the entire wrestling industry right now if he wanted to. Uh, but, um, will they decide to go that route? We'll see. Uh, then it was Britt Baker retaining the AW Women's title against uh, Ty Conti. I thought another solid match here. Um, I think that Conti's someone that, you know, uh, I think we've seen a lot of, you know, maybe not on Dynamite all the time. Of course, she's been in this cycle of pay-per-views on, on Dynamite. But, you know, she has been someone that I think for someone like me who's watched Dark a lot and Dark Elevation, like you, you've seen sort of the evolution of, of what she can do in the ring and her character and all of this, I mean, she's just a lot more confident now than maybe when she first started with AEW, and I think you kind of see that. She's really sort of embraced, I think, you know, her strengths and her different, you know, sort of unique style and all that, and I thought that we saw some of that here. I mean, that was on display. I thought it was a nice showcase for her, uh, but, you know, at this point with Britt Baker, I just, you know, this never, never felt like a situation where you're going to get a title change, but you have to, you have to build up a challenger as good as you can, and I think now is where things get interesting with the Britt Baker title reign because not to say she's she's not you know as hot as she was anymore but a- after you know that initial momentum of her winning the title giving everyone had wanted that even though she's a heel after that initial momentum I think now it's all right the longer you get away from that you know it's you have to keep finding ways to try to build back up that same type of momentum and now that we're whatever how many months removed it has been from when she won the title um, I think it's, you know, you've, you've kind of hit that point where, all right, what's next? And can you kind of capture that same sort of magic that they have? And, and like I said, the crowd's still very into her, and I don't think that's going to change. But they have to keep coming up with creative ways to, to keep her at that level, um, given that, yeah, she is presented as a heel, but there's going to be a lot of people who still cheer her. And I think the, the inevitable direction, as we all know, is probably going to be that rematch with Thunder Rosa. I think it's when is that going to happen? Do they hold that off for Revolution? I don't think that would be a bad idea at all to make that the next program. And then at that point, maybe you do. Like, maybe you do make the switch and and go to Thunder Rosa there. Or maybe there are some other options uh, that could present themselves for where you go next. But that's a story that writes itself based on their first match. And as we've seen with AEW, they keep all those little tiny details (laughs) stored up somewhere. Uh, they're in the vault, and when they want them to come out, they will open the vault, and they will, you know, present that in a way that usually does a pretty good job of sort of captivating you, 
uh, in that scenario. And I think that's what they're going to do here with this whole Britt Baker Thunder Rosa situation. Of course, Thunder Rosa is still in this TBS title tournament, and maybe you know that's something that they go that route with her. I don't necessarily think so, but it's it could be possible. I mean, you never know. Uh, but uh, I think that the, the money program, the big money match for the AW Women's Division, is still Britt Baker Thunder Rosa. My guess is we see that sometime early next year. Whether that's a revolution, uh, whether that's you know a very hyped up show on Dynamite, um, we'll see. But uh, I think that is inevitably the switch that's going to happen is probably going to be that one. Uh, I just I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who else could be in that spot, but I think that 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 is the one that makes the most sense when it comes to uh, the next champion, probably in the AW Women's Division. But Britt Baker does retain at full gear. And then came the match that, you know, I said earlier, I, I loved MJF Darby. This one's right there, and, you know, I may even put this at the top, even though it was the shortest match on the card, 11 minutes. Uh, CM Punk defeats Eddie Kingston. I thought, you know, if you want a masterclass in what you have to do to get fans invested in a professional wrestling match, you could have got that with the main event, too, based on the story arc. But just the entrances alone. For this match here, these two guys came out and they looked like two guys who wanted to kick each other's ass. They did not come out dancing. They did not come out playing to the crowd. They didn't do their usual stick. There, there was nothing that was normal about these entrances. And that's what made it feel special is that these two guys came out. CM Punk, no clobbering time, none of that. Because he, he could not do that as a character. He did not have the time to do that because he was only focused on coming out and ripping Eddie Kingston apart. Eddie Kingston comes out with no emotion on his face, you know, fist balled up. He just wants to have a fight. And that's why I think this worked so incredibly well. Going back to the promos they had to build this up, just an unbelievable piece of work, I think, from from both parties. But when you really look at this, I mean, they they could not have done this any better. And this is something I've talked about over the years. You know, when you build up one of those blood feuds and, you know, all of a sudden you just see people coming out to these entrance music and they're dancing and they're happy and excited and all this while their opponent's standing, you know, 15 feet away in the ring and they're just, you know, doing their thing. But this is a blood feud that you've built up where you know that the other guy wants to destroy you. There's no time for any of that. You have to go out and just present it as a fight. And that's what they did here. And I, that's why I think, and we saw that in this match, I don't know that there's anyone better in wrestling right now. And it's incredible to think after a seven-year layoff. But there is no one, I think, that's any better at just knowing how to get the crowd to react and sort of having the crowd in the palm of their hand than CM Punk. Like, he is just, he is at, on another level with some of the things he can do, whether it was the John Cena thing, you know, kind of doing the uh, the impression there with that, um, and then, you know, going immediately, kind of going straight into the, sort of the tribute to Eddie Guerrero. Like, CM Punk just gets it, and I think that's why he was such a big acquisition for AEW. This was undoubtedly the best match he's had in the company thus far, which should not surprise anyone the way they built us up. Uh, this felt like the biggest match he's had. Uh, I know the Darby Allen one was was good, but this was the biggest match he's had in AW and they just they they delivered. They delivered a fight. It was a battle. You know, this was not a wrestling match. This was two guys who didn't like each other fighting to tear each tear, tear the other one apart. And I think that works so well when you can tell it the way that they told it. Um and you know, Punk's just bleeding profusely here. I mean, it you know, it just it, it felt like one of those things where you're just looking like, man, 
you know, he's playing to the booze. I mean, the crowd's booing him. They're cheering Eddie Kingston. This had all the elements of just great professional wrestling. And like I said, even if it only went 11 minutes, you know, maybe you're not giving it five stars or anything. But if you wanted professional wrestling, like this was professional wrestling right here. Like at its at its very core, this was what it's all about. And I just think that it was a, an incredible piece of work. And, and this is only the beginning. Like you saw with the finish here, this is going to continue. And thank goodness, because this is, um, you know, one of the best things going on AEW right now. And I just thought this was from start, like I said, from entrances to bell to post-match angle, where Eddie Kingston's like, I'm not shaking this guy's hand. Absolutely not. We're trying to destroy each other. I'm not shaking your hand after the match, because that's not what Eddie Kingston would do. Um, yeah, like, I just think this was this was great stuff. Um, so I'm glad they're going to continue this, because this was this was a special piece of work, I think, from both guys. Uh, so uh, highly recommended on this one. If you did, for some reason, you didn't get a chance to see this. Please do, because uh, this was this was art <laughs> from these two guys. They get it. They they understand the psychology. They understand the storytelling, and uh, it was it was fantastic. That led us into uh, the match before the main event, which was the Inner Circle getting the win over uh, Men of the Year and America Top Team. I thought this was fine. Um, I said I was kind of joking on Twitter, but. I kind of laughed, but I was like, whew, a little ambitious to uh, make this match about 20 minutes with, you know, doing it with, again, people who have not really done a whole lot in professional wrestling. You know, whether it's Junior Dos Santos, Andre Avlovsky, uh, Dan Lambert, you know, it's it's ambitious to make this match the length that they did. But, you know, I, I was with everyone else where they're starting off like it's a street fight, Minneapolis street fight, and everyone's just kind of standing around the ring, tagging in. Very sort of basic wrestling match early on. I'm thinking, wait a second, is this a street fight or is this a wrestling match? And then, of course, all hell breaks loose after that. And um, they eventually turn things up where it's like, all right, we're going to kind of lull everyone into thinking, wait a second, what are these guys doing? This is supposed to be a street fight. Well, it turns into a street fight where you've got, you know, ladders and toasters and water skis and bunt cakes and all sort of stuff. Um, you know, your traditional weapons and matches. But uh, no, I mean, it. I think it was it was a little ambitious to to go as long as they did here. But I think, again, when you talk about placement, this was probably the right match to put in front of the main event because this did give you a lot. It was a lot of stuff. And, you know, like I said, it's it's kind of, you know, you kind of know what you're getting with an AEW pay-per-view. You're going to get a lot of stuff thrown at you. Uh, again, maybe it's a toaster. Maybe it's a bun cake. But there was a lot happening here. Uh, but I don't... I don't know that this was probably one, and I think going into it, like, you pretty much knew the outcome of this one. You knew that this was all about Dan Lambert getting his comeuppance, and there's nothing wrong with that, because that was the story they've been building for, for a while now, is this was all about the eventual finish, was Dan Lambert getting what he had coming to him. And that's what we've seen, you know, from managers of the past, whether it's Bobby Heenan or Jim Cornette or whoever, like, that's what those guys used to do when they found themselves, you know, being the guys, the mouthpiece on the outside. But then once they actually had to be thrust into a role in a match, you knew that people were coming to see them get their ass kicked. Like, that was the whole story, was to let the baby faces finally get the advantage, and now these guys are going to get what they had coming to them. And that's what this whole thing was built around with Dan Lambert, was you were going to get him in, and it was going to be Jericho getting the best of Lambert, and that's what they did here. Uh, and I thought that was fine. But I think, you know, the match as a whole, it was it was fine. Um, I do think it was probably a little bit long, but you know I can also appreciate someone like Junior Dos Santos out here doing standing moonsaults. Uh, I think Dos Santos has been great uh, in his role here, and you know we always talk about the MMA to wrestling transition. I don't think it's great for everyone, 
But I think Junior Dos Santos has been fantastic. Um, and I think Paige Van Sant has too. Of course, she wasn't involved here. But uh, I think that, you know, for the most part, this Dan Lambert stuff, I, I find him very entertaining. And the way he, he's played it up and, and they built to this, I was I was fine with the payoff here. I thought it was, you know, again, a, a good payoff. Maybe the match was kind of up and down for me. But uh, I think that, you know, given all parties involved, for them to go 20 minutes, uh, I still think they got a lot out of it. And I would have not have predicted that it would have went 20 minutes. But they got a lot out of it. And um, I think that, you know, they, they can move on now. And now what's next uh, for the inner circle uh, after getting this win over their uh, nemesis here? Uh, with this group but then it was the main events which is uh what everyone came to see uh this long story that had been played up uh over the past two years now with kenny omega and hangman page and the only choice was to have hangman page win the aw world title and that's exactly what they did here um there there was no other option and we've said that before that can be a very good thing when you build yourself a story like this to where the only option is to go with, you know, the number one choice here, and that is to have Hangman finally hoist the championship above his head as, you know, the world champion. And this is what we mean, again, by the long-term storytelling. Not everything AEW does is perfect. There are probably things you can pick apart in a lot of different storylines and, and stuff that they tell. I get it. And I don't, you know, I don't think everything they do is perfect. But this was this was almost as good as you could get, I think, from a long-term story for them to build it up the way that they have and to sort of kind of let some of the stuff sit over this amount of time, not to feel like they had to rush everything with this. Um, you had all the different sort of, you know, character development along the way for Hangman and, and Omega and sort of all the twists and turns but to finally sort of get the payoff again, it's all about the payoff and like, how do you, how do you make this work? And I think they, they really did that. And like I said, the, if Hangman didn't win this championship, people are going to riot because th- there was no other option. He had to win this match. And now that he has, it sets up so many fun possibilities. I think moving forward. Now we talked about Brian Danielson getting the win. Uh, over Miro, and now he's the number one contender. But then, of course, we know at some point Omega's going to be back to either try to get a rematch, going to try to get his championship back, whether that's immediately, whether he takes a little time off. We'll see. But, I mean, there are so many different directions you can go in. And I think, you know, certainly the the finish to this match with the Young Bucks coming out and sort of giving the nod to Hangman is like, hey, we're not going to get in your way here. You do what you have to do. And, you know, you're not the sidekick anymore. You're the world champion. And, you know, the Dark Order comes out and celebrates with with Hangman. Uh, I think that there's just, there's so many fun things that they can do with this moving forward. But this was the only story they could tell. They had to tell a story of sort of the redemption of Hangman Page from that very first, you know, championship match against Jericho. People thinking he's not ready. And then to sort of play up all the, the ties with the Young Bucks and Omega and everything. The history, um, just just great work. I mean, this was this was great work. Like I said, I mean, the match delivered, I thought, you know, a great match. Um, you know, if you're you're playing favorites, I think to each their own, whatever match you wanted to rate it the highest, whether that was MJF, Darby, you know, Punk, Kingston, or this one, take your pick. And I won't have a lot of argument against that because I think they were all very good in their own right. They all told a different story. And uh, this one was the one that, you know, everyone's been waiting on. We've been waiting for, you know, the sort of final redemption for hangman page and him to finally have his big moment 
and they gave it to you. You know, they didn't they didn't swerve you just to swerve you. Um, they they gave you what you wanted. And now, I mean, whether that's Hangman versus Danielson, Hangman versus Omega again at some point in the future, um, MGF's out there. You know, there, there's so many things they can do coming out of this, and uh, that's why I think it actually kind of helps to have the the longer sort of road to revolution, which is not until, what, I think February at some point. So you've got a pretty good haul until we get there. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to happen on free TV. There's going to be a lot of stuff on Dynamite, a lot of stuff on Rampage, but, you know, that gives you three to four months or whatever uh, to to build up some more big stories. And I think with, with Hangman and Danielson, my guess is they're probably going to have to do that on TV. I don't think they can hold that off until the next pay-per-view. But uh, with the move to TBS and, and a lot of different plotting points they have. I mean, there, there's some big shows they can put together along the way, you know, the New Year's shows, all those. They got a lot of ways they can go about this one. So um, I, I'm looking forward to that because that's another very, you know, interesting dynamic with two guys that the crowd loves. And how do you tell that story um, with, with Danielson, you know, earning his shot now at the title? So it's going to be fun. Uh, this was a very fun pay-per-view. Uh, I know we like to, you know, play the the role of trying to figure out which is better, which is worse. Um, how do you pick between full gear and all out? Honestly, I think there were two different pay-per-views that, you know, had different themes involved where, you know, all out was very good from a wrestling standpoint, full gear, very good from a wrestling standpoint. You didn't get really necessarily the surprises you got at all out at full gear, but you got more of that, you know, long-term story stuff that's really built in for a while. And even some of the shorter stuff, you know, Punk Kingston heated up pretty quick, but there's a longer story to tell between those two, given their histories. So uh, I think that, you know, take your pick. <laughs> they're both very good. Uh, and, yeah, there, there's a lot to be excited about, I think, if you're AEW coming out of this pay-per-view. Uh, and we'll see what they do moving forward. But uh, there are some thoughts on AEW Full Gear. And, as always, uh, you can let us know what you think uh, by heading over to 41mania.com. Check out all our reviews. Uh, they're all up on the, the site there on the main page. Check it all out. Uh, we got lots of reviews up. Of course, all the news and everything surrounding it. We've also got columns as well. Uh, so be sure to check all that out on the site and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, search for One on Wrestling on any podcast app you use. You can find us there. And uh, as always, be sure to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we've got uh, that up, our 41 Mania YouTube channel. Put the link in that to the show notes. And uh, as always, we'll have the link to the GoFundMe for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes as well. So be sure to continue to share and contribute to that if you can, and uh, everything else, 411mania.com. But uh, thanks, as always, for listening to the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you next time here on 411 on Wrestling Podcast. <laughs>